Uh, so when you look at the the children's literature market today, you see large groups of children that are excluded. You know, the, the most obvious one that jumps to mind is is racial minorities, and that certainly exists. Another one that has really stood out and, and is is really really important to us is children with disabilities and children with illnesses. Uh, less than one half of one percent of traditionally published children's books today feature those sorts of children. When you're not able to see yourself in a children's book, it has major consequences on your view of your own value, your self-esteem, your place in society. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it's important for children to be, to have the opportunity to see themselves reflected in the books that they read in the most critical development years of their lives. And we're building the most robust illustration model in the world that can show every child that they're one of a kind and infinitely valuable. Mike Vagalis is the founder of Keepsake Tales, and his mission is to get children to see themselves in stories. And it's not just someone who looks kind of like them. It's literally them in the books themselves. Mike will tell you more about it in a minute, but it's an amazing idea for a business. Scaling it, however, in an incredibly competitive market, that's another story. And the investors have a lot of questions before they can see themselves investing in Mike's business. Let's meet them. My name is Donald Thompson, CEO of WalkWest and Angel Investor. Donald Thompson invests in anything he's passionate about, whether that's the idea or the entrepreneur, and where he can be helpful in being a mentor as well. Hi, I'm Robbie Hardy. I'm founder and chair of Excel Ventures. Robbie is a champion of the women's entrepreneurship movement, and her venture fund focuses exclusively on debt deals to female founders. Hey, I'm Tim McLaughlin. I'm a partner at Co-Founders Capital. Co-Founders Capital has raised $43 million to invest in North Carolina companies. Hello, I'm Keith Daniel. I'm co-founder and general partner of Resilient Ventures. Resilient Ventures invests in early-stage African-American founders. I'm your host, Sharon Delaney McLeod, and you're listening to the Startup Stage Podcast, where underrepresented entrepreneurs can share their dreams with angel investors, venture capitalists, and you. This is season one, and we're in the triangle of North Carolina, a place where colleges and tech form a vibrant startup community. These episodes were recorded in late February, right before the world changed due to COVID-19. At the end of this season, we'll explore what's happened to these companies since the recordings and since the launch of this podcast. Did they get the investment they were looking for? Did other investors contact them after listening to this show? Has the worldwide pandemic affected their chances of getting funding? All right, let's get to Mike Vagalis with Keepsake Tales on episode five of the Startup Stage podcast. So when I first started exploring this idea, one interview that really stood out to me was a woman who told me, Mike, this would be so powerful if you could put my daughter Claire in a story because she has Down syndrome and nobody makes books for girls like my daughter, Claire. And I was super intrigued by that. So I started doing some research and what I found was that nobody's, first of all, even having the conversation about underrepresentation in children's literature, uh, especially for children who have disabilities or are sick. And secondly, in traditional, uh, traditionally published children's literature, less than one half of 1% of children's stories today even include a child that uh, has a disability or is sick. 
And then when you look at our personalized children's book competitors, you'll find that nobody has an illustration model that's robust enough to include all types of children in the story. So that's what we're doing with Keepsake Tales. We're building the world's most robust illustration model so that any child, regardless of what they look like, can see themselves in the story. And that's a brand promise that nobody else can make. We're really excited about what we're building. We're raising $300,000 today. We've got the first 75,000 that we're in diligence with, uh, with another fund. So we're looking for another 225 to close the round so that we can invest in our infrastructure and developing our marketing channels so we can launch four books later this year. We're really excited about this tale that we're writing and I'd like to invite you to co-author it with us. Thanks. It's great. So Thanks. where are you, do you have books now or? Yeah, so we've launched one book in a three-week pilot. So we incorporated in September. Six weeks later, we launched our first product. We sold for three weeks in November and learned a ton. So how did that work? Tell me about that, that journey. Yeah, so I brought on my co-founder, who's an author, and she has several books which she's written. We converted one of those books into a personalized model, and we set up relationships uh, with a local printing and fulfillment partner, so Lulu Printing uh-huh. in the area, uh, and with a third-party digital art company. So we built a really scrappy Shopify website. I should never design websites, but uh, we built kind of a... What's the website? It's keepsaketales.org. Yeah, I so see. if you go there today, put in your email address so you can be in touch with launched in November. And it was largely organic postings on, on social media. Uh, we put some limited dollars into Facebook marketing. So the consumer the, came on and said, I want, I put, put yep. Sally, put my daughter Sally in that yep. book. So, so the customer journey is they went on to Shopify, selected the book, uploaded at least one picture of the child or children that were going to be included in the story. That got routed to our digital art company. They create the cartoon manually and send it back to us. And we would go back and forth on quality control. So saying things like, <clears throat> this girl's hair needs to be blonder, or this boy's eyes need to be bluer, or you need to add smile lines because that's the most prominent feature on this child. And when they had the cartoons that both were highly representative of the child and matched the illustration style of the story, we sent those PDFs off to print and then shipped to the, the customer. And people are telling us things like, she's obsessed. We got videos from our early customers where uh, they were walking into the room and the child was flipping through the pages of the book and said, I can't believe that they're doing this instead of going on the iPad, uh, which is really cool to, to what we're doing. But we also learned we can't continue to roll, rely on a manual process. It's just not oh, scalable. Yeah, because making money would be hard. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. You proved you prove de- demand. So yeah. how, how much did you charge per book? How many did you sell? So we charge $50 for a book, uh-huh. which is intentionally priced at a premium. Right, well, close, as it should be. Our closest competitor has a less personalized illustration model. They charge uh, $40 for a book. And uh, price discounting is really standard in the industry. Influencer oh, yeah. marketing is Crazy. is our biggest, uh, we expect to be our biggest marketing channel. And so we'll discount the books down with influencers to $45 or $40, just as our competitors discount the price down from $40 to $35 or, or $30 to drive velocities. So we sold 62 units. Our conversion rate tripled in the three-week time period. Our week three conversion rate was just under 4%. So we had a 3.9% conversion rate and we saw our cost per click decrease dramatically when we had enough consumers on Facebook that interacted with the content that we posted to really 
start to see the right trends occur in our in our acquisition cost. Wow. So Mike, you have one story. You had one story during that yeah. test, right? That, yep. And so people would place their child into that one story. Mm-hmm. How are you going to source content, like stories in, going forward? Yeah, good question, Tim. So this year we're launching four books. Two of those we're developing internally. Two of those we're developing with external partners that we're co-branding the books with because they have much larger national platforms than we do. So we expect through those strategic partnerships to drive a lot of immediate traction by co-branding those books. So that's four books that we're launching in 2020. In the future, we're really excited about the possibility of crowdsourcing content. As I was doing my discovery, I found that there's, first of all, a lot of people that want to be children's authors or have thought about it. There's a sub-segment of those people that take it so seriously that they go back to school, get their Masters of Fine Arts in children's literature, only to graduate and find that they can't dethrone Dr. Seuss and get shelf space at Barnes & Noble. Our long-term strategy is to form relationships with Masters of Fine Arts programs in children's literature and offer those aspiring authors who are talented, have spent years of their life going to learn their trade, give them a differentiated way to build their personal brands in children's literature. What's the age? Do you have to have different books for different ages? How does that work? Good question. So as we build out the, the content of our library, We'll make it searchable by age range. There's certainly age ranges. But do you that, need it? Can you take the same story and just vary it a little bit? So let's say it's for, you have to have a dis- unique story. Yeah. There's not like a template. No. So we're building totally new stories for every book that we do. And we're testing a couple of different content styles. So one being occasion-based stories. So birthdays as a great example, or first day of school, or when you lose your first tooth that are very targeted on specific age ranges. And then one that we're really excited about is therapy books. So one of the strategic partners that I mentioned earlier is a doctor at a TCU who developed this uh, really cool treatment method that's designed for children who have been through some sort of trauma. Uh, So think foster care, adoption. Uh, My co-founder has four adopted kids And she's also a licensed practitioner of this particular therapy method. And when we first met, she told me, she's like, Mike, we have to, we have to put these practices in children's books. And when we talked to this doctor at a TCU, he was really intrigued by the idea of taking the treatment method that he developed and using personalized children's books as an innovative medium to teach children those principles. So that's one of the books that they were launching later this year in collaboration with this doctor. And this one, it's all about around uh, self-regulation. So teaching kids to self-regulate when they start to, to heat up or lose control of their emotions. And, and that's something that is so intriguing is kids don't like going to see a therapist, but if you put them in a book where they're the hero and they see themselves and there's actions, you know, so we, it's modeling, okay. we need to test it, but we think that there's a lot of power there. I always get excited about any kind of product that seeks to address sort of like narratives in the, in the landscape. I went to your website. I saw the first image there was a person of color, but you didn't necessarily talk about that as an angle for your book. You talked about the disabled community. I'm wondering how far you've gone in, in exploration of these other landscapes of impacting like narratives that are out there that can be, you know, a part of your, your business model. Yeah. Really good question, Keith. So we're for every child, Mm -hmm. right? And we, there's major underrepresentation, to your point, from, from racial 
diversity in children's literature today. And one of the things that is really powerful is that we can, we absolutely are creating books specifically for different demographics of children and, and having racial diversity is at the core of what we're doing. The most shocking thing, and, and there's, there's some progress happening in children's literature in terms of racial diversity. It's not where it needs to be. Yeah. The most shocking thing to me, which, which is why we're starting really with, with a beachhead of children with disabilities and sicknesses, is because nobody's even started that conversation mm-hmm. yet. So that's not to minimize other forms of diversity. Uh, we, we really are for all children. Now yeah. tell me, you didn't punctuate this as well. Talk to us about the industry for children's books. I mean, is this yeah. billions and then how challenging? So the U.S. children's book market is about $2 billion. It's growing at about 3% per year. The personalized gift market globally is about $32 billion. So growing- this is print books or this is digital everything? I need to go back and check the okay. number, Robbie, but I, I believe it's print books. Okay. The vast majority of those books are traditional publications. So think uh, Penguin Random House Uh is the the largest Mm -hmm. player in the market. You're starting to see actually decreases in ebook sales. They've been struggling with brick and mortar sales. So I was reading their investor report last night and uh, they're looking for ways to innovate. We think that a great exit opportunity for Keepsake Tales is a traditional publisher who's not willing to take the risk in a new market like personalized print children's books. But as the industry matures, certainly, certainly could. So that's the, the total uh, children's book market today. The personalized segment is growing rapidly. So our two biggest competitors in personalized children's books, one is called Wonderbly. They're based out of the UK. And the latest revenue number that I've seen is about $36 million in annual revenues. Are they the $40 book people? They are, they have a, a range okay. of prices. You, you mentioned they, some competitors. Anyway, so, so that's Hooray Heroes. And they're, they're really revolutionizing the market today. They're growing exponentially. So I believe it was 2017, they had about $3 million in annual sales. In 2018, they had $17 million in annual sales. Wow. And in 2019, they drove close to $30 million in total sales. Let's take a break here. Coming up, Robbie reveals that she's been a customer of one of Mike's competitors. Plus, the investors have questions on how Keepsake Tales can grow to the level that Hooray Heroes has. But first, let's talk about our sponsor, WeWork. While many are asking the question around what the workplace will look like in the coming months, WeWork is actively working toward a solution. The design and operations of WeWork spaces will completely reimagine the work environment, focusing on your health, safety, and peace of mind with new cleaning standards and operating procedures to keep spaces clean and your health a priority. This will be reimagined design standard to keep members at a safe distance from each other in common areas. Day-to-day operations of running your business have drastically changed but WeWork is dedicated to providing its members and the greater community with resources that support your business during this unprecedented time. Visit WeWork.com to learn about the company's response to COVID-19 and how they're helping businesses of all sizes navigate the future workplace. All right, back to Mike's pitch and the conversation on Hooray Heroes. So, so what's, what's so special about them compared to you? 
Yeah. Or how are you special compared to them? Or? So I think what's driving the success of Hurray Heroes is they're currently leading the market in the flexibility and a personalization model. If you look at what they do, they have what I call an avatar-based personalization model where you go on and choose, is the character a boy or girl? And then you choose from- I bought a, one of those books. Go ahead. It, I realize now. Great, great. Gift. Yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective yeah. as, as a consumer. And you choose from a limited selection of hair color, skin color, and eye color, and it updates the avatar accordingly, which is the most personalized product in the market. No, I can just say, I mean, I bought this as a gift. It was on some list for a friend of mine's child, and I went in, and I thought, well, this will be fun. But, the, you know, I mean, it could have been anybody. It's just they had the right same color hair and the, yeah. In my view, I was like, well, I would have never chosen this, but I did it. And, yeah. You know. So, and the other, that made me not think that the personalized market was a very good one because it was really pretty icky. And that's, had their name in it, but that was it. When we look at our consumer discovery, we <clears> heard <throat> that so many times where we had people say, oh, I've tried these before. And the illustrations never look like my kid. And, and, and the stories suck. Mm-hmm. So, yes, because they're very basic. They're very basic. And they're templated. So, but then that makes that, and then what that the scalability, the reason they do it right is because they want to be able to do it a lot. As you grow and try to create some defensibility. So, mm-hmm. there can be defensibility in your way to get content creation. How are mm-hmm. you getting better content mm-hmm. uh, and, and stories written? But then something on the scalability of the technology side of it, right? You mentioned it's not scalable right now. Mm-hmm. Talk me through your process on making this a scalable business with some defensibility. Yeah, really good question. So I'll walk you through our personalization model. So what we're doing is inviting customers who might be mom, but it might be grandma or an aunt or an uncle or a friend of the child. So we're inviting the customer and the child into the creation process Mm -hmm. through a fun branded experience, which is something that none of our competitors do today. So our new consumer journey, or customer journey rather, will be the customer goes onto the website and selects from our library of books. By the end of 2020, we'll have five books in our library, so they'll select one. And it'll say for this book, say there's five expressions required. The child needs to be happy on one page and sad on another and scared and then brave and whatever the expressions are that are appropriate for that story. And then we gamify it. And we use the the camera from the customer's phone and they act out a game with the child to say something, for instance, okay, pretend pretend like you see a T-Rex or pretend like you're flying. And they take a picture of the child. And then on the back end, we've created a filter with our, with our artists that created the base illustrations for the story. Apply the filter over the picture to make it a cartoon that's coherent with the illustration style of the story, but also highly representative of that child. Extract the relevant pieces of the picture, put it in the illustrations in the right place. And then you give the customer the ability to quality control it So we eliminate quality control risk, give them the opportunity to either approve the picture or retake it until they're happy with it. And then when they click purchase, it goes directly to our printer. So they get the book much, much faster. So by doing that, Tim, we're creating both a a technological barrier to replication. uh, And we've talked, had some preliminary conversations with patent attorneys. I was just going to say, I I mean, that's your secret sauce. And and they believe that that secret sauce, you know, we need to explore it, but they believe that secret sauce from a technology perspective, is patentable. We also think from a brand perspective, that's an amazing barrier to replication because we create an experience between the child and somebody that cares about that child in their lives from the moment that they're taking the pictures 
all the way through to when they're reading the books together. It's for it's built. It's build a bear. It's an experience. It is, it's yeah, an experience it's, yeah. and a customized gift. And in the fact that you can take the photograph cool. and you have the yeah. technology Thanks. or the algorithm, so whatever, however they're doing it, that mm -hmm. puts it into the caricature that works with the book. You know, because I'm sure every book's a little bit different. But you, no, it's very cool. But calling build a bear for books, right? Makes it super explainable, and yeah. then the experience construct meets with the math of macroeconomics, right? Mm -hmm. Is that people are spending more money on experiences than things. Mm -hmm. So you're giving them an experience and a thing, right? Experience and then a physical product at the end, right? You bet. So it's the same thing. It's Yours is more valuable, right? But you ride a roller coaster at the theme park, and they charge you $42 for a bad picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, and, and we've all bought one at least yeah, yeah. once or twice. You yeah. ride the roller coaster, yeah, yeah. you've paid hundreds of dollars to do that, and then you pay $40 for a bad picture. Right. Right. You're giving them something that they've lived through and a great physical representation. And so and they I get think, to relive the experience and, and relive it. And yeah. so I think my comment would be like, that starts to be something that makes you super special. Thank you. Right. Like, and so you want to seize on that in your marketing. Now flip back to your competitor for a minute. Yeah. How did they grow? So when you look at their spend, it's largely social and of their spend on social, it's 90% Facebook, which is why in our initial pilot, that, that's where we put our spend was Facebook because that's what we're seeing in the, the competitive category. Of course, we're going to play in traditional digital tactics like search, social, display, where we'll get the most efficient acquisition cost comes through our strategic partnerships. So co-branding books with large national platforms that have credibility with large audiences, with influencer relationships. And we've got a, a prioritized list of influencers that... My co-founder has relationships with many of them. So let me make a statement on the influencers. One of the things, whether it's with, uh, we work with a big pharma company and, and we've used influencers there on the music side, one of the companies. And so one, you have to make sure of how active the influencer is going to be, mm -hmm. right? So that it's a long-term relationship, not a one hit, mm -hmm. right? Because they all start to monetize and that starts to devalue even the influencers. But the second most important thing, back to Keith's point, I think you have an opportunity by broadening outside of the disabilities quicker hmm. to hit influencers. All these athletes have foundations. So if you created a financial incentive for them to do something and promote, and then a percentage goes back to their foundations, you would get them much differently than going through CAA or their agent to hmm. get them to do something for you you could do something that could be pretty massive right. on a reasonable, That's on a reasonable cool. hustle budget. Yeah. Right. Because you, you, you create, you're creating a product revenue share. You're thinking about it with the authors. That's good. But then you also think about the people that have the megaphones. That's explosive. The, Absolutely. Is what I would kind of think about. So to Donald's point, that model, the, your customer acquisition cost up front goes to very close to zero right. if mm -hmm. they're promoting for you and you pay that customer acquisition cost on the back end with the donation to the charity or the rev share There's model. There's also, and like you should, you might want to connect with me after. There's also a company called Creative Allies. We do crowdsource design. Okay. And so we've made a ton of mistakes in the crowdsource model. Okay. <laughs> you so do? That's the kind of advisor that you want. Somebody that's made mistakes. Like, yeah. we, we have 100,000 designers. We've done stuff with KISS. We've done stuff with the NFL. We did crowdsource design for the NFL's 100th year. But anyway, here's the point. The point of the matter is, yes, it works, right, the influencer model. But there are some small things in how to approach and how to set it up and how to replicate it that, that you don't have to, to make again. But I do think your product mix is built towards influencers. The reason I brought that up is this company, Creative Allies, 
just signed to do marketing and um, communications work for a local North Carolina agent that has a roster of 30 athletes. That's fantastic. I would love to be connected. Right. The reason I'm excited about what you're putting down, they're looking for ways to diversify their athletes and be different than other agents. So bringing, bringing you in to talk to their stable of athletes, you only, you might only get two or three that are super interested, but the other ones are like, all right, cool. My agent's bringing me new opportunities to grow my personal brand. Right. And then there's another agent that's a good friend of mine that has, he's smaller. He's got probably 10 to 15, but these are folks that are on TV, on shows, have brands. And so I do think the influencer part, I'll hush, but that could matter. And then you could be explosive without spending millions of dollars. Like, yeah, I might be able to be helpful. That'd be great. The, the, other, the, the other channel that I think really we're excited about is, is a leader in the school photo and yearbook industry. And they have relationships with, thousands of schools, hundreds of thousands of families across the country. So we're thinking differently about distribution than our competitors. And I certainly think the influencer piece is there. And all of these are channels that we're excited to test and to put some money into. With this company, for instance, and with our strategic partnerships that we're co-developing books with, we're doing exactly what you're talking about, setting up a rev share or a profit share so that the the growth is self-funded through, through our sales. So Mike, you know that we're willing to help and I think you're doing some great stuff and I'd be a a buyer, right? I'd be a consumer for this. I got a three-year-old and, and he loves reading books and the closer it is to looking like him, the, you know, more he's engaged with the story. So I love it. We invest in B2B software Mm -hmm. out of co-founders. Right now, I think this is uh, too big of a consumer focused play for us to invest. However, what I do think you, you're very close to being able to do, and you ran a great test pilot in November, you said, is raising a small amount of money like you're looking to do, maybe mm-hmm. that hundred dollars to $300,000 range, and test your acquisition channels, whether it's through some partnerships like Donald was mentioning, or whether it's through traditional advertising, where you can then take that to another, you can get a much bigger check after that and say, I've proven out my customer acquisition cost, I've proven out some of my price points, my conversion rate. Mm-hmm. my conversion metrics on my website, proving out some of the technology and distribution methods that at scale, these numbers really make sense for an investor. Yeah. And, uh, and you got some comps in the space at, you know, how do I grow from three to 17 to $30 million? That's an attractive uh, investment. Yeah. So, so good luck with it and happy to help. As Thanks you know, so. appreciate yeah. it. So I'd love to meet your co-founder Excel. We invest in women. Great. So here's my card. It's good. If, uh, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we do debt only, so it would be a different model, but it's straight debt, and so see if we have something to talk about. Great. I love what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we'll be in touch. I think, uh, and, and this is, you know, free advice, to so be careful. <laughs> but I do think you should consider finding an African-American female co-founder. Okay. What you're looking at is the chances for the multiple markets you want to go after to expand rapidly. You're going you're to need right. that kind of that face, yeah. that presence. And then I think that from a marketing standpoint, from time to time, Walk West, our marketing firm, will invest services for equity and different things. But one of the things that as we've grown, a fast little marketing company, we have a dedicated Facebook rep. So when we build out programs, we can get Facebook to actually look over our shoulder to make sure that we create the right appetite right, for the entrepreneurs and the persona research and that stuff. 
And then and I'll send you or you can send me information. I'll send you a case study that Facebook did on the work we did for NC State. Great. Right. Because what you want to do is if you've got fifty thousand dollars to spend, you want it to be super targeted, mm-hmm. super powerful. Right. At twenty thousand. You got ten. Because that's what's going to get you the further investment. Right. right. So even if somebody worked with you on the pilot, but I think you got some. I think it's a super cool mm-hmm. idea. A lot of people love that. Thanks, I think the athlete angle. I mean, not to, That's you know. Super cool. Yeah. I, yeah. Really I, good idea. Yeah, we'll connect afterwards. It was really, really great idea. Thanks, Donald. And as I mentioned before, our focus is on founders of color as well. So I, I certainly um, lean towards, yeah, you, someone on your team leading in ownership or in, in leadership. And how much have you raised already? So we're in diligence for our first 75000 And what's the valuation? Uh, we're doing it through a convertible note, and, and we're still negotiating on the cap. On that, so what's the what do you think the range of the cap's going to be? Three that, to three and a half. Okay, that's which seems reasonable. It but is, sometimes, it's reasonable. You know what I mean? Like, so if you like ten million, like yeah. I mean, <laughs> convertible note is fine. Yeah. Is it, I'm a yeah, baby okay. shark, baby angel, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but I need to be able to have some upside for the kind of risk that I'd be taking. And then the other thing is, I do like things that I can get involved hands on. Okay, right? Like that's my interest is yeah. working with really smart people, but like that I can be valuable. Right? If I'm not helpful, then it's it's hard for me to just watch from the sidelines. So I'm pretty active. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we're looking that, That's, I mean, candidly what we need, you know, like I say, I know that I'm a first time founder and well, I think I've got a lot of the, the raw things that, that are needed to make a business happen. I know that I can only benefit from experience and hands-on coaching. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, being, yeah, it's huge. Okay. I mean, you've you it. got all the right stuff. Love it. Great. So nice to meet you. Yeah, so nice it's great to meet you, you guys. Very good for, you. for your yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to meeting your Thanks, co-founder. Mike. Thanks, man. Great. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Cool. So Mike will tell you he was trying to, he was being good about it, but I'm introduced him to, it's the second largest school photography business in the country. And so if you think about the channel where you already have the child's photograph. Yeah. You already have access to all the parents through all the schools. You have, Holy you crap. have printing and distribution yeah. at your fingertips, and they're local. So he, he met with the that's very the, cool. super the that's president awesome. and the you team rock, there. So. so Donald and Robbie are interested in investing in keepsake tales, and Tim wants to be helpful. It sounds like the pitch went well, and we'll find out more from Mike in a later episode. But let's see what he thought of the conversation as he sits down with assistant producer Jalen Hatton. So was this kind of what you expected or was it a little bit different than what you thought going in? It was, uh, there's so much kinder than the sharks. Um, so I was expecting it to be a little bit more more shark tank and, and aggressive. And, and I tell you, it, it felt very uh, collaborative. And, it, you know, I think... Yeah, that, that's just reflective of, of this culture. You know, certainly we're all trying to build businesses that work and and it's right to, to push and ask hard questions, but the atmosphere in the room is very collaborative and not at all confrontational, which is what you sometimes see on, on Shark Tank, so. Yeah, man, that's the uh, Southern hospitality we've got going on down here. Thanks for listening to the Startup Stage podcast. We'll be back next week with another dream chaser looking for capital to take the next step in their business. For more information on the investors and entrepreneurs, visit StartupStagePodcast.com. 
Startup Stage is proudly produced by EarFluence with recordings and editing help from Joe Woolworth at Podcast Carry. Executive producer is Jason Gillikin. Editor is Molly Brock. Assistant producers are Jalen Hatton, Candace Kelly, and Cece Huffman. Special thanks to the University Club in Durham for hosting the recordings. Thank you to our sponsors, Helios, Innovate Capital Law, Lenovo, Startup Hats, WeWork, Fancy This Photography, and the University Club. I'm Sharon Delaney McLeod, and we'll see you next week on the Startup Stage Podcast.